Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. In these gurus editions, we'll feature strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, recovery scientists, and other performance specialists who help athletes to be their best. Today, we're talking with Ben Kenyon, head strength coach for the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA. He has also worked as a strength coach for the Portland Trailblazers and for George Washington University. He's responsible for making fast players faster, strong players stronger, and powerful players more powerful. But Ben also walks the walk. He's a 6'2", 205-pound former collegiate basketball player who works out five days a week, and he's running a marathon on November 21st. How's it going? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. How are you? Where are you? I am, where am I? In Philadelphia. <laughs> are you sure? I know. I just, it's <laughs> wild. So we, um, we will be going tonight. We'll be leaving to go to Detroit, and then we'll head to Chicago, and then we'll be back in Philly for three or four days, and then we're off on the road for about 13 or 14 days right before Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, I imagine during the basketball season, you probably wake up and you're like, where am I? What what hotel room is this? <laughs> it, it's been real. It's been real. But it's ninth season, so I've kind of got a good foundation. So so I'm in a, in a better spot now. That's cool. So I, by way of introduction for folks, you're a Jersey kid like me. You You played four years of basketball in college. Can you give us a little bit about your athletic background? Heck yeah. Um, first... Uh, represent Jersey, Jersey stand up. Here we go. Love it. Question for you before I answer. Are you from North Jersey or central Jersey or South Jersey? (laughs) I'm from North Jersey. I grew up in Livingston. Oh, okay. I love it. I love it. Uh, What about you? uh, Hillside. So that's North Jersey, right? Yes. Yes. Cool. Sweet. Sweet. But yeah, so, so grew up playing basketball, loved basketball, um, wanted to play in the NBA. You know, when I was 13, I said, you know what, I will either coach or play basketball in this space. And it landed me a scholarship to Adelphi University, Division II school. The coach I worked for or played for um, was amazing. He did a lot for me when it, um, actually my high school coach and my college coach did a lot for me when it came to uh, building my mentality, building me Mm -hmm. as a man. Adelphi was awesome just because it was so diverse. It was a commuter school, but um, there were a lot of just different people there. And uh, coming from Blair Academy, which wasn't so diverse, was definitely um, an awesome opportunity to just kind of step outside my comfort zone just because I kind of grew up or had the boarding school. So um, when I went there, it was just kind of a bubble um, that I was in. And so stepping outside of that and kind of getting back into more of a city mix, uh, more of, of, again, a diverse uh, community was cool. But four years out of Delphi was amazing. We won a lot. Defense was our thing. Um, that was my strong suit um, as a basketball player was defense and being kind of like a combo guard. So being able to attack and be quick, but also be able to knock down the jumper when I was open. But defensively, um, I loved getting up in people's chests. I love being able to put the pressure on. Um, I always took on the challenge of working or outworking the other team's best player um, and putting myself in a position to guard those folks night in and night out. So that was kind of my college career, and it's actually transitioned on to, to the rest of my life. But I know you've got questions for me, so I'll That's let you right. ask. Was physical fitness always important to you outside of the sports that you played? Like, how old were you when you started formally working out in a gym as opposed to just what you were doing on the basketball court or uh, any other sports that you played? Yeah, so oh, 
think I was in sixth grade when I first started lifting. It was, yeah, I, I fell in love early. My elementary school, Mr. Driscoll, uh, Mr. John Driscoll introduced us to the weight room. We were mature enough to do it. So we started there. And then my coach that I work with, I think this was right around 11 or 12. He always had me start in the weight room. So anytime we worked out on the basketball court, I would have to get there an hour before and just start in the weight room. I would just do basic things like bench press, lat pull down, squats uh, on the Smith machine. But it was all about setting a foundation and getting into a routine. So early on, I was, um, was kind of strong, right? So I always knew that was a strong suit for me. Even in high school, I had a lot of friends and opponents ask me like, dude, did you ever play football? I was like, I tried, but like I got hit one time and got knocked from yards. And I was like, this is not for me. So I stuck with just continuing to be tough on the basketball court just because I love the physical aspect of it. And I don't know, being in the weight room for me was just something that allowed me to have kind of like my one on uh, one on one moment with myself and, and put myself in a position to to lock in and get focused just because I always did it before the court. Right. So it was something that I knew was going to warm me up, was going to prepare me for uh, whatever practice um, I had to kind of do that day. What made you decide to make strength and conditioning a career? It was fun, (laughs) period. You know, I chase fun. I chase things that make me happy. Um, I I chase things that I'm really, really passionate about. And I figure out how to make money doing it at one point. What is it? My sophomore year, junior year of college, I went up to my college coach and I said, dude, I want to be a strength coach. And he was like, does it make money? It's like, I don't know. I don't care, but I love being in the weight room and I love being on the basketball court. I know there's a job that actually allows you to go out there and do those two things. So I want to do it. And so I ended up pursuing a personal training certification at New York sports club that was right up the street in garden city. I think I took a couple of exercise phys classes and just learned more about it. And then the big piece was my coach said, cool you get to put together the preseason for your junior year and your senior year. So he gave me the opportunity to actually um, build my resume early on the second I told him I wanted to do that. And it actually helped me get my first grad assistant job at George Washington University the year after I graduated from Adelphi. So So he let you do the programming for your team, your junior and senior year of college? That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heck yeah, it was fun. I've always been, again, I started in the weight room at like when I was in sixth grade. So this is something that I've always kind of been about and, and I've always been one to be in the best shape that I possibly can be just because that was my skill, hard work, working people, putting my head down and just doing what I need to do for a long period of time. Right. Yeah. And so, um, he knew I had it in me and he saw that I was super passionate about it. So he, he kind of let me run with it. So from the time you're sixth grade, basically started lifting. And then in college, you're basically putting programming together for your teammates. You've now obviously been training people for a long time. How is that programming aspect? And, you know, you mentioned bench press, lat pull down, basic stuff. How has that evolved over the years as you've learned more into basically this like library of stuff that you probably have in your head now about what needs to be done for basketball? How, how much is your knowledge? expanded a ridiculous amount <laughs> um I'm, I'm more specific with basketball movements now we just say functional training i try to do the fundamental movements the basic strength movements that i know every athlete needs but when it comes to working with basketball players specifically i try to make sure we focus on things that they're going to actually do on the court because we want to prepare them for 
moments that they're going to continuously do. And for those moments that uh, may happen every once in a while, their body's at least prepared for that. So it's grown a lot. Obviously, I had to start where I need to needed to start, um, knowing that you know if I can just lift this weight uh, on a bench press, I know for a fact I'll get stronger. Um, yeah. But I learned over time that if I can move this weight in three different planes of motion well and efficiently, that's actually going to translate well to the court. And it's something that um, I still hold as important in this day, just because a lot of guys, a lot of athletes don't realize it's super important to train for your sport, but they, they don't realize that you have to actually build a foundation from it. So again, let's go back to when I was in sixth grade, that was a good foundation. I always recommend to people start with the basic strength, start with basic movements, and then add the functional things to it. Again, golf players, tennis players, soccer players, their functionality are going to be a little different, but for basketball specifically, it's cool to actually step in all three planes of motion, do the movements that they actually do in a game, and also be able to do it in a controlled environment, which is the fun part, because we have a, um, here with the Sixers, we actually have a hoop in the weight room that allows us to kind of put weight into their hands or do things that allow them to see the target, which is typically the goal on offense. I was going to ask you how you replicate those basketball specific movements in the weight room, but you just you have a basketball hoop in the weight room. That is pretty awesome. So you can have guys fighting against bands or, or moving weight rotationally and heading towards the basket at the same time. That's pretty fun. Yeah, man, it's cool. And the crazy part is you don't always need a hoop, right? So if somebody's listening to this and they don't have a hoop in the weight room, cool. Um, use your imagination, touch the ceiling, jump as high as you possibly can when you're doing vertical movements. But it's it's cool um, accessory to have in there if you can have it. Um, it's something that obviously we can afford to have, and with this this high level facility that we have, we have a whole lot of goodies, a whole lot of what is it, a whole lot of pieces of equipment that yeah. not everybody's going to be able to get. So, but it's cool. Again, everything that I try to focus on now, with all the equipment or without it, is just making sure that we put you know athletes in a position to thrive in what they do. I just like the idea of like having the eyes on the prize. I think that's fun. So you've worked with athletes from a lot of different sports. You, you mentioned you're at George Washington University. How is training athletes for basketball different than training athletes for other sports? What, what are the unique challenges? So again, we always start with the foundational pieces, right? You always have a good foundation, good basic strength. You should be able to squat. You should be able to do a push-up. You should be able to just do the basic strength movements um, and do them well. And then we add to it. So the addition to those other those foundational movements typically come from the coach. So I'll sit down with the coach, or I used to sit down with the coach for rowing or for golf or water polo um, or tennis, whatever sport that I was working with at that time, and just ask them like, hey, what are some of the most important positions for your sport? I remember actually working with the women's gymnastics team uh, back at GW and being able to stick the landing and finish strong was something that they needed to do. And so uh, again, we went just back to just base strength and the fun part was those ladies were very intense. I mean, extreme gymnastic, gymnastics in general is very intense. Um, I know a lot of people see it and there's people smiling all the time, but like behind the scenes, it's freaking no joke. And, and so when we got after it in the weight room, people would go by and say, man, like they're lifting high intensity, high, high weights. And I'm just sitting there like, Hey dude, like they need to get stronger. As you continue to develop as an athlete, if your foundation isn't strong, regardless of what you do when it comes to functional strength or sports specificity, it won't last. And so again, when it comes to other sports, other things that, or, or the criteria for training people in other sports, I try to focus on just good foundational strength and then connect with the coach 
that's in that space to figure out what are the things that they need to do to improve their times, um, their landings, or whatever it is that they feel um, is an important metric for them to grow and thrive. So what are those most important metrics to play in the NBA? The NBA, I mean, so for our testing, for our combine, again, it's different than uh, the reality of the NBA, Um, but the combine is typically, um, we do vertical, we do like lane agility, um, we'll do three quarter court sprints. Those are like, again, the foundational pieces that we'll do like on a draft day. But in the actual NBA, it all depends on what you were drafted for. It's funny. Um, I try to ask all the rookies, like, what do you think you're here for? And, you know, a lot of them still have this awesome imagination of just like, yeah, maybe I'm a scorer, maybe I'm this. And I'm like, well, where were you picked? And, and what did you do well in college? So some people are really, really fast, right? So the goal is to triple down. Again, you're 1% of the world or less than 1% of the world at what you do. So that means you being really, really fast is an attribute that you probably want to figure out how to improve. So let's figure out how to improve your speed. Maybe you're a prolific rebounder. So that means you know how to dominate space. So let's get you stronger um, so that you can continue to dominate space. Maybe you're a person that's um, an outstanding shooter, but you have to be able to get open. So getting strong, being durable, and being able to have that endurance over, what is today, a 48-minute game um, is huge, right? Um, 94 feet, being able to run up and down, guard, play defense is something that, Uh, You have to be able to do at this level if you still want to be able to get your shot off. So it gets very specific right when they get drafted, or at least I try to get specific right when they get drafted and focus on those things, because that's what's going to allow them to establish themselves as an NBA player. I always go back to like foundation. What are you doing to build your foundation? And then from there, let's just say you're working with speed and you develop a jump shot. Cool. Now we can add in that endurance piece, which again, it's always going to be there because we're always getting up and down, but like there's focal point one, focal point two, focal point three, and it happens over time. And this is where you see the awesome athletes out there, like a Dame Lillard, like a a Joel, like all these guys that are out there doing these amazing things. They had a foundation that they started with and then they added to it, right? They're super, super talented. But I think at the same time, um, you've got to start somewhere and with anything in life, people are going to want what you're the best at, um, at the highest level. I'm really good at performance. I'm not going to come in here and try to be an X and O's guy um, because they didn't hire me for that. If they ask me to do that um, at one point, because I do have a basketball background, cool, but they know for a fact um, that they can get high level training from me out of the weight room. And so this is kind of focal point two or three. With all the sports that you've worked with before, do you look at basketball as sort of unique in the, you know, thinking about the size of the guys who play basketball, there's some really big dudes in the NBA, but in, when you look at the NFL, there's all the stoppages, you get a lot more breathers, the NBA, those big men have to move at a pretty good speed for a very long time. So it is probably one of the more unique combinations of strength and endurance in the sports world. Yeah. You know, it's a balance of anaerobic and aerobic. Um, you've got to go out of your way to make sure you're training both. Honestly, you think about the season as a marathon, right? And the way um, I like to, to prescribe conditioning for it is pretty much look at each section. Again, it's nine month season, right? So how are we preparing you for the beginning of the nine month season? And then how are we preparing you for that? Let's just say the beginning of the end season, right? In the middle of the end season, and then the end of the end season, and then the playoffs, right? So how are we continuing to add to that, uh, that foundation? Because again, you can't, you can't look to have a person in shape or championship shape 
in September or October, right when we first start up, just because overtraining is a thing. And in this space, there's so many different opportunities to overtrain yourself. Um, there's so many stressors when it comes to basketball, when it comes to your mind, your body, uh, when it comes to outside stressors like family, other things, um, finances, whatever it is that may cause stress to your life. Those things add to the bucket of overtraining as well. So how do you help? Guys? So first of all, the season is just starting right now, right? And a lot of guys come in from the off season, they're in good shape and they're very strong because they've had time to kind of focus on that lifting. How does that focus kind of change over the season? How do you maintain that strength while also being in it for the marathon? Yeah, it's just consistency. You're going to see a theme um, to, to this conversation today and it's building a foundation making sure that we have somewhere to start. So if we're training three times a week in the off season or four times a week in the off season, we commit to doing at least two times a week in the end season if you're a guy that plays a lot, but we commit to actually lifting and, and going after it and making sure that we are doing the things that are necessary with basic strength, the fundamental strength, um, and then functional um, strength as well. Um, and so just staying consistent and kind of understanding that it's not going to be a linear path you know, you'll gradually continue to, to kind of improve, but you're going to have some dips. Again, the season isn't always so A to B. You won't be able to actually get to a certain destination a certain way all the time. Um, injuries happen. Your minutes may fluctuate. Guys' minutes may go from 10 minutes a game to now 30 minutes a game because two people in front of them are out. So you have to now adjust. But if we can still stay consistent with that foundational piece of saying, hey, during our end season, we always lift this amount because you're that type of guy that needs to lift this amount. Your body is saying, I need this. Yeah. Uh, so I try to focus on just um, sticking to the foundation and keeping myself accountable, but keeping them accountable as well. And keeping myself accountable is just continuing to tap them on the shoulder and just say, hey, you know, we scheduled two lifts this week. Let's just make sure we get it in. Maybe one in Detroit when we hit the road and then one when we're home. I mean, it allows us to do stuff that Maybe we can't do on the road because we don't have, you know, the same uh, equipment. But again, that's the diversity or the, the variety in our training. So you mentioned guys maybe lifting like four days a week, trying to get in two days a week, sometimes during the in-season where it seems like it's more of like a maintaining that foundation as opposed to like an increasing your bench press sort of thing. You're not really going to do that in the season. But when you, you have guys, there's going to be five, six, seven guys who play a lot more than other guys on your, your NBA team. What do you do for the conditioning for the bench players? How do, how do you keep them ready to go in there when they have to? Yeah. You know what? It's funny. Like each group is a little different. And I think it's, um, I mean, it should be obvious, right? You have your main guys that are playing and their gains can happen during the season. So just FYI, like, just to let you know, like that stuff can really happen but a person has to be very, very dedicated to doing it all just because it, it is a decent amount um, that's happening to the body. Um, and so you don't want to overtrain, but that second group, that second tier, the guys that may play a whole lot, you know, one night and not play a whole lot the other night, they're kind of in a, in, a, in a weird space just because conditioning for, or staying in striking distance for that night that you may play 35 minutes tonight or in that game is not the easiest so what I try to do is just prescribe them off the game. What are we going to do right after this game? And what are we going to do tomorrow? Just, just because we couldn't, we didn't get past 15 minutes today. We didn't get past 20 minutes today. Can we make up some sort of conditioning? Can you go shoot a couple um, extra shots? Can you get up and down on the court a little more? Can we jump on the treadmill? Give them some variety that allows them to have autonomy in their training so that they don't feel 
like in college and high school, it felt like more like a task, like, mm-hmm. like punishment. it's not punishment. Um, this is more of like, we want to make sure that you're getting the load that you need to get before the next game, because you might play 30 to 35 minutes or you may not, but it's, I just think it's getting those guys some sort of load that allows their body to feel like it went through some sort of game or, or some sort of intensity that allows them to continue to uh, thrive and, and go. And then the last group of guys typically are young guys that are 14th, 13th, 14th, 15th on the bench. I look at those guys as just rookies, young guys, college guys still, right? And, and say, hey, like, this is your time to improve and get better. So we're always kind of in conditioning and always in strength game mode with them. Is there any sort of a formula for the percentage of time that an athlete should spend practicing skills for their sport and a percentage that they should be training to be stronger, faster, more mobile, more efficient at performing those skills? So ask that question again. Is there like a a formula to how much time guys should spend focusing on getting strong and focusing on getting better at playing basketball? Yeah. So getting better at basketball, like it's not separated from getting strong, right? So when you walk into a NBA facility, there's a weight room in there. There's a training room in there. There's a massage room. There's an, there's an area you can go eat. Um, there's a media room. All of that is a part of basketball. So you have to figure out how to allocate time to that. So again, as, as a young person that's not in the NBA or even in college just yet, you look at facilities that you walk into, maybe even in high school, there's academics, there's family time, there's social time, like all that stuff actually, to me, speaks to basketball just because it's saying, if basketball is the thing that you're going to perform every other night, how are you actually pouring it into that with the other things that you're doing? So again, when it comes to strength training, when it comes to athletic training, nutrition, those are as important, but you don't have to do them as much, right? And so you can actually have smaller doses of it. Um, I can't give you a percentage. It all depends on where that person is. Mm-hmm. Um, just because one person may come in completely out of shape and they need to have a higher percentage um, of time in the weight room to get themselves in shape or maybe a higher percentage on the court because they just haven't played basketball in a long time. And at, at the end of the day, we are always focused on helping guys be the best basketball players that they can possibly be. So nothing should take away from your performance on the court. Um, it should only add to it. In this day and age, how often do people actually show up to play in the NBA out of shape? You know what? It's funny. <laughs> the rest of the world, you know, I, I get the opinions of, of, of the masses. You know, a person looks out of shape. And I don't think people really get the marathon mentality that you have to have here. So you're not always going to be in championship shape or, or the most lean person in the whole wide world. Being out of shape, honestly, is, is kind of where it's where the athlete feels they need to be or where the athlete is at that moment. A lot of athletes may come back from the off season and not be in the best shape to get up and down every two seconds. Uh, maybe the head coach is just saying, Hey, you know, we're not in the best shape just yet, but we'll get there. And so it typically happens, you know, with uh, more repetitions being in shape here is it's, it's hard to not be in shape in the NBA just because we played so much basketball, you know, not just games, but like outside of it, practices are every day. Um, yeah. you, know, you guys are always doing something. So again, being out of shape, that's more of a decision that you end up having to make. And uh, typically you won't be able to thrive or survive here in this space just because uh, that's, that's an area that regardless if you're good, bad, good or bad, if it's not up to par, you won't be able to sustain um, any sort of greatness at all. 
<laughs> you mentioned foundational strength and having a base of strength, and I that's important for everybody in the general population as well. Yeah. So what are the exercises that you think everyone should work on and, and be able to do to develop that foundation of strength? Just basic strength. Let's just go with a, a normal bodyweight squat. Let's go with a push-up. Let's get a pull-up done. Um, let's be able to hold a push-up hold for 60 seconds and, and put ourselves in a position to run or jog for 20 to 30 minutes at a conversational pace, just because your heart deserves that. And then be able to actually walk for maybe 30 to 60 minutes outside. I think that's something that general population folks should look into, look at as a standard. It's simple things that I think can go a long way. And it, it's just a great foundation to being able to say, all right, well, maybe now I want to sign up for this 5K or maybe now I want to sign up for this Spartan race or whatever else is out there for. Maybe they want to just be able to get up in the morning and go play with their kids. Doing those things, um, I feel, are going to be super, super simple and easy. It'll allow you to get up and down the steps, allow you to carry some groceries and just live your life. What do you think the, are the biggest training mistakes people make? Biggest training mistakes. They try to do everything they see on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a really big training mistake. It's something that a lot of folks need to stop doing. There's some really high level folks that are sharing some really good information on, on social media, but there's a lot more terrible, awful information being shared by folks that um, decided yesterday that they wanted to be a performance coach or a nutrition specialist or whatever the heck it is. And now they've read a couple books and now they want to share their ideas on how to improve your body and people are running with it. So just be aware of who's actually sharing um, the information and don't just pick up something just to pick it up. Anytime you see a cool exercise being done, it's a jump, bound, a hop, something with a basketball hoop involved. See if you can actually hold a squat for 60 seconds. See if you can do a bodyweight squat and actually have your knees aligned and be in a good space so that you're not, not falling all over the place because typically that's how you hurt yourself. <laughs> you try to do things that you see these high-level elite athletes doing. Um, again, they've, they've built the foundation already. It's so funny. I, I love to do handstands. I'm always like walking around on my hands, but some of the handstand variations I see on Instagram, I look at it and it's amazing. But in the back of my head, I'm like, Lindsay, that is a good way to fall on your head. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I, there was a, there was a page. Somebody was like, man, you should do more stuff like this. And it was this, um, this girl that was a gymnast back in college and dude, she was a, she was just ripped. And so I was just like, all right, dude, like, I'm not, I'm not going to put on, uh, what is it, the yoga pants and just walk around with shirt off. And then second, she was like 102 pounds soaking wet. And she's doing all these cool handstand tricks and, and, and flipping over bars and, and doing single leg squats off of, on basketballs and stuff. I'm like, dude, this isn't it. And, but <laughs> she had a million followers and, and she was now the, you know, the most fit person in the world. So Again, I'm not knocking it. I just think it's um, you've got to get realistic um, with where you are. And, and not everybody's in that same space. Again, I'm not going to ask a 7-2 a person to do um, what you know, a gymnast is, is, has been doing for years. <laughs> years. People try it. I want to see everybody on your team doing pistol squats on a basketball. That's insane. <laughs> that would be crazy. That, That's insane. Just to let you know, I wouldn't have my job anymore. <laughs> no, I do not recommend that. Okay. <laughs> 
do you, when you guys are playing a lot, you're traveling a lot, you're having weird sleep schedules on some time, you know, coming from time zones, do you have any recovery methods that you swear by you that you think just work a lot better than others? How do you keep your guys ready to go? Just a routine. Find your routine. You have to fall in, in love with your routine and figure how to actually get there, get to that space every time you, you land. So you go to your room. If the temperature is a certain temperature, if there's a certain amount of pillows, if there's a pillow that you like, bring it with you. If there are certain things that you use, diffuser, aromatherapy, noisemaker, lights, um, whatever it is, it's going to allow you to go to sleep and recover because that's the best recovery tool. And that's uh, actually most efficient. That's going to allow you, you to actually um, show up best the next day. I'm trying to think what else? Other things. It's funny. A lot of folks I've had a I had a sleep doctor comment on guys tweeting really late at night, and it was funny. We I was telling her, I was like, "Hey, dude, like, do you realize like we're flying at like two or three o'clock in the morning? So they're wide awake." And you know, the, the, her her comment back was, "You know, maybe they should be sleeping." I'm like, "Well, they fall asleep at two or three o'clock in the morning. Maybe they won't fall asleep when they get to their room, right?" And so again, being able to to stay disciplined enough to stick to that routine that's going to allow you to get the best sleep that you can possibly get. I fall asleep anywhere and everywhere. So I'm in a good space. I can fall asleep right now in this conversation. Um, and, um, but it's, I think it's mastering your routine that allows you to, to thrive. And, and again, sleep is the one nutrient that all of us can use more of. And that's the one thing that's going to allow us to recover the best. What about at some of these like, you know, newfangled recovery methods, like the cryo machine and the infrared sauna that you see all the players posting on Instagram? How do you feel about that stuff? Uh, it's good. It works. It's a tool. Again, if it's something that allows you to feel great and you can do it pretty much anywhere and everywhere, or there's a time frame where you do it um, and you actually have a really good prescription for it, heck yeah, run with it. Again, not everybody's going to have what the 1% of the world has. I use a sauna. There's a gym out here called City Fitness. Literally every day, if I don't run, if it's an off day, I at least sit in the sauna and stretch. Why? Because I know blood flow for me is going to be huge um, for me to go into work, have that energy that I need. But it allows me to actually stop for at least 20 minutes um, mm -hmm. during the week. And then on the weekend, I do 30 minutes and just not even look at my phone because I can't bring my phone in there and just be. And so, again, I think it's figuring out what tool works best for you if you can afford it. Cool. Um, again, this gym. I've got a cool membership at the gym. And so it's, it's there. It's a part of it. I just finished listening to a cool podcast called Knowledge Project. Really good podcast. Big fan of it. I think they've got like 130 episodes. I've listened to like at least 30 to 40 of them. Wow. Um, my way to on just because it's, they have a lot of high level folks that come on there, but they give you pretty much like really good anecdotes on how to do certain things. And this one person, I can't remember her name, but she was a neuroscientist and question was asked on how to, I think it was best to recover or what should people do to, to improve themselves. And she said, the one thing that's affordable, one thing that everybody in the world can do from homeless person to the richest person in the world is just breathe, practice breathing. So that's something that I'll give you guys is just saying, practicing breath work, box breathing, four seconds in, hold for four seconds, four seconds out, uh, hold for four seconds is a game changer. I've learned that Navy SEALs do it. I do it. Um, every morning, I try to push it on my athletes. It's something that actually allows us to manage our autonomic nervous system. And I think that's the key piece of being able to actually take yourself out of fight or flight 
and put yourself in that rest and digest space. And again, meditation's another piece that you can use, but everybody's breathing and you can do it anywhere and everywhere. And again, it's very affordable. It's funny. I was told about box breathing actually by a Navy SEAL probably about 10 years ago for a story that I was doing. And it will drop your heart rate like a stone. It's amazing how much it calms you down. It's, it's just terrific. Heck yeah. And again, that's what recovery is all about, being able to actually calm down and allow that uh, circulation to slow down a little bit just so that you can get a little more um, focus on whatever it is you're doing, sitting down, laying down, versus always having your mind racing and being all over the place, which a lot of us are. How often do you actually work out yourself nowadays? So I'm training for a marathon right now. Good for Um, you. So yeah, dude, it's fun. It, It helps me out a lot. My program is set up for five times a week. I take two days off right now. Wednesdays and Sundays are off, but every other day I'm either running or lifting. How many days a week you're running now? Which marathon are you doing? The Philadelphia Marathon. And I'm going to have to do it in Portland or Sacramento just because we're going to be on the road, but it's on November 21st, which is my birthday. Big shout out. Appreciate it. Um, so wait a minute, you're doing the Philadelphia Marathon. You're doing the, uh, you're running a marathon the day of the Philadelphia Marathon, but you're going to do it on the road. Yeah, yeah, in Portland or Sacramento, wherever we're going to be. Do you have anyone running with you? No, I'm going to do David Goggins mode. I'm going to go no headphones and run by myself. God bless you. I feel like you need to post where you're going to be and have all the people that are in the city just come out and run a mile with you, keep your company. <laughs> if, if, I, uh, if I do it in Portland, just because I just moved from there, I'll have some people coming out with me for sure. But it's, I don't know, it, it, it's my birthday and it's going to be just a day to kind of reflect and hang out. So um, I love doing this stuff. Like I've, I've trained for half marathon or half Ironmans. And I don't even know if you know this about me. So last year before COVID hit, I was actually training to run across the country. And I was doing up to like 24 to 25 miles, like in a day at one point. Wow. My weeks and all, just because it was something I wanted to do. And COVID hit and it stopped everything. So at one point, I'll do it. I just, um, I love it. How big are you? How tall? How much do you weigh? 6'2", Six. about 205. Okay. So that you're a big guy to move all those miles. <laughs> you know what it is? I, I try to make sure to stay on top of my training. Mm-hmm. You know, the, having um, expertise and all these things that has helped me out a little bit. And also being able to um, not, like, I don't do things outside of uh, the things I enjoy. I try to make sure I only connect with the people that I know bring joy mm-hmm. in my life, do the things that I know brings joy to my life because it allows my body to not have as much stress or hold on to as much stress. You know, as I continue to regulate that, um, it actually makes it way more fun and easy to get out there and go for a run. Again, I know stiffness and all that stuff sets in at one point, but I try to, to eat as healthy as I possibly can, especially when I'm training. I was going to ask, are you a proponent of any particular type of diet? So, no. I think there's a special diet for everybody. I've seen awesome research studies done through International Society of Sports Nutrition. They, they gave a presentation there a few years back, and he literally was it, Dr. Sean Arendt. He broke down every diet. And was just like, pretty much like, pick one, go with it. You get bored, pick another one. (laughs) And that's kind of the space I'm in. I try to eat for performance just because, again, I fly every two seconds. You know, so dehydration is a thing. The lack of sleep also messes my brain up a little bit. So uh, having good circulation. So that means a lot of veggies, um, a lot of greens, um, making sure I get enough nitric oxide in my body so that I can have that blood circulation, making sure that I go out of my way to eat cleaner proteins 
try not to eat too many fatty proteins, but I still enjoy life. I've got a sweet tooth and I can, I can definitely tell you uh, on the big run days, I might cheat a little bit and have, especially since it's around Thanksgiving. So I'll have a pumpkin pie, but I'll go run like 10 miles and be good. So I just think it's, it's super important to have discipline, but also don't restrict yourself so much that you're not enjoying life. And that's something that is very important to me, especially when I worked in college. I saw a lot of women athletes struggle with that because they needed to make weight or, or be a certain type or look a certain way. Um, and it's the same thing with men. We may not speak about it as much, but I try not to even shame myself with it. Again, if I want to eat this damn cookie, cool, I'm going to eat it. Um, and I'm not going to abuse myself and go run 20 miles tomorrow, but like, I know that I'm training for a marathon so that this is going to be something that I burn off at one point. But when I'm not training, I know I've got to probably look at the cookie, say no to the cookie and walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Say no to the cookie. (laughs) I feel like I I also, I exercise so I can eat. And I feel like that could be a bumper sticker. I exercise so I can eat, but it could also be a bumper sticker. Say no to the cookie. Like, go to the cookie. Just walk away, dude. Just walk away. It's a discipline. It's hard. It's hard. Away. Yeah. So I want to ask you about two things here. Now you founded the great day squad and you've also got a new book coming out. So tell yeah. me about all these projects you've got going. You've got a lot of side hustle. A lot of side hustle. You know what, man, I'm just on fire. So let's go back to 13 and I'll tell you um, how I got to great day squad in the book. that I want to be the best at what I do, right? So I want to be the best performance coach or the best basketball player. And it's going to land me somewhere. And so I'm still on this path to be the best performance coach I can possibly be. And it's, there's more out there in the world for me to do. And so great day squad, um, that actually started because of what is it? My, my heart aneurysm. I was, I have a heart defect and it's wild. And and, um, the way I found out about it um, was, was kind of flooring, but it put me in this spot mentally where I didn't think I could train for a little while. And so I had to kind of work my way out of that funk. And um, I started to share on um, social media. It's a great day for a run. And a lot of people started to reshare, repost. And that's where we started the great day squad. And the focus now is just to be able to optimize your day so that you can make every day great. Um, I want to help people improve their mind and body, but I want to do it through the cool community that we have. So we do YouTube live podcasts or live shows where we have folks come on there and talk about how to optimize your mind and body. It's super simple. It's fun. We do workshops um, every once in a while. And we also have in-person events. When I was in Portland, we had this thing called the Most Lit Triathlon, which was movement, inspiration, and connection. We had a, about 20 minutes to move. We had a panel discussion. And we also did a, um, a moment to connect. And so everybody grabbed an adult beverage, DJ turned up some music, and you met some new people that allowed your, uh, your world to get a little bigger. So Great Day Squad is something that it's kind of been a lifelong project, to be honest with you. And, and now I've turned it into something that I really do want to be uh, an awesome media platform that produces content, performance content that helps optimize your day. And then we'll have some cool in-person events that I've found people to help me out with that. So I'm now starting to kind of like take my hands off of it, but it definitely started with my heart story and, and all that good stuff. And then the book speaks to, it's called Climb, A Black Man Framework for Growth and Achievement. This is from a younger self. An author told me to write my first book to my family, right? And my grandfather's written a book. My other grand, So both my grandfathers were pastors. They helped people locally and globally, and um, they were always on fire for it. And so, you know, my whole mission is to continue on that legacy. And this first book that I officially did on my own was 
I don't know. It's something that I know for a fact that I wish I had uh, when I graduated college, being a hungry um, young black man that wants to continue to grow and achieve. I wish I knew about these tools on how to stay aligned with my core values, um, believing in something, understanding that that's super important to your foundation, having um, ownership or taking ownership of what we actually do, um, our actions, um, understanding what a support squad looks like, um, being able to actually grow. What does growth look like? Well, that's being able to meditate. That's being able to have a holistic approach or a holistic practice um, to improving your mind and body. And then finally, um, that achievement piece. When success happens, what do you do? You're officially a leader, so you have to continue to show up as a leader. How do you manage your money? Honestly, I can tell you, like when I started to get paid money that wasn't a normal strength coach wage, that was something that was a little more, I didn't know what to do with it necessarily at that point in time, just because my family didn't talk about it a whole lot. So I had to go out there and do a little bit of research to figure out how to save, um, how to invest. What do I, what does real estate mean? Everybody keeps telling me to do real estate. <laughs> what the heck does that mean though? Like, I'm not going to be here in Portland forever. I'm not going to be in DC forever. I'm not going to live in uh, Florida forever. So this book is, is more of a guide uh, or a framework for um, not just black men, but for people out there that are hungry and that are actually on fire to grow. Um, this is going to allow you to continue to climb those mountains that you're going to climb as you continue to grow. And the, the fun analogy is the mountaintop that you're on right now that's satisfying for right now. But if you're, if you're like me, you're looking out there saying, all right, what's next? So, so this book is something that, you know, as you continue to travel back down that mountain to attack that next one, um, this is going to help you remind yourself of, of all the things that you were able to acquire through some uh, life stories that I was able to share. And then stories of some of the cool people I've ran in, into on my journey here um, in the NBA and outside the NBA. That's really, really cool. So it's like, it's just a guidebook for success for to everybody to, to just uh, kind of live a fulfilled and successful life. That sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Is it out now? No, we're in we're in pre-launch mode. So I'm starting to share more about it. It's going to be out sooner than later. I don't even want to drop a date on you just yet, but it's going to be out pretty soon. So just be on the lookout if you want to follow on Instagram. I'll probably share some things on there. We're still kind of developing the last pieces of it. And but when it's ready to rock and roll, I'll definitely share with you guys. I'll send you one. I, I love it. I'm a big hiker. And that analogy just hit home so well for me because every time I climb to the top of the mountain, you enjoy the moment that you've gotten up there and you've accomplished that thing for that day. But then you look out and you're like, wow, there's a hundred more peaks out there. Time to go get those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You better know how to actually uh, pace yourself and you have to know what what's actually allowed you to get there. And then again, these are, this is going to be a framework that's allowed me to get here. And I've, I've been able to accomplish a whole lot over the last 16 years. And I feel like it's necessary for folks um, in my position, for folks that have had awesome success and are, are super happy in their space to share. I don't think we share enough when we are in those spaces or on those platforms. I don't think we share good information. I think we share and we, we do a great job giving out content. But I think the how to get some stuff done is, is the piece that's missing. And in this book, there are challenges that I'll give you in certain chapters. Um, there's going to be just some hard facts of just like, hey, here's some of the stats on mental health and this is why you need to do X. Here's some stats on physical health and this is why you need to do this as well. So again, I just this book to me um, is giving you the formula on how to actually continue to climb and continue to grow and achieve. I think that's awesome. Well, I thank you very much for joining us and I wish you so thank much you. luck with all of this and so much luck in your marathon on your birthday. What number birthday is this going to be? 
This is going to be the Magic 38. The Magic 38s, right through all the magic. I just turned the Magic 44. You know, it is what it is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, thought, hey, I thought it was like, I thought you were like 2930. I was about to say, I don't know. I was going to say, I paid him to say that, everyone. No. <laughs> magic. <laughs> no, Magic 44 for me. Keep it on, keep it on. Anyway, thank you so much. Thanks so much to Ben for joining us on Food of the Gods. Follow him on Instagram at, at Ben underscore Kenyon underscore for more information on The Great Day Squad and on his upcoming book, The Climb. You can also follow the 76ers on Instagram and Twitter at, at Sixers. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production. <laughs>